Hey, this is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream, Refuge Recovery, and Dharma Punks. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. I hope you're enjoying the Dharma. Together, may we create a positive change on this planet. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes. May our paths cross soon. Welcome, everybody. Welcome, everybody at home. I did it. Thank you, though. I do forget to record sometimes, but I did it. Um, regular Monday night class at Against the Stream. And um, tonight we're just finishing, a, I don't know how long it was, three or four month series on Heart of the Revolution. And we've been practicing and discussing um, this book. It's about compassion and forgiveness and loving kindness. And um, tonight's the last, it's the culminating chapter. And, um, and we'll talk about it after the meditation, but just a little bit of a setup for the meditation. Meditation, uh, often, I, I think I most often talk about it as um, mind training, training our minds. And especially when we're talking about mindfulness, training our minds to pay attention, to be present. And training is a very intentional because um, the mind by itself doesn't pay attention to the present, as we've all noticed, as we're all aware of that. Uh, the Buddha even referred to the untrained mind as the monkey mind, and that the monkey swings to the future and it swings to the past and it um, doesn't stay present very often. So training, training the mind. But there's this kind of false duality, I think, that gets created between uh, mindfulness, which leads to wisdom, and, um, and our heart or our uh, compassion and love and kindness. And, um, and I'm guilty sometimes as creating that du duality in the language that I use. Uh, and um, there's even this common, I don't know if you've heard it, but there's this uh, saying that uh, the liberated uh, heart is like a bird with two wings, the, the, the liberation. And one wing is wisdom and one wing is compassion. And that we have to develop both wisdom and compassion. And I, I, it just it has a nice ring to it. Wisdom and compassion. I'd say it all the time. <laughs> um, but it's actually bullshit. Because uh, they're not separate. It's a false duality. And, you know, the mind isn't separate from the heart. It's some, you know, I, I want to blame our Western dualistic language, um, but it's not just that. I, I don't know why we've created all of these false dualities, but uh, like wisdom, like compassion is the wise response to pain. It's the, right? <laughs> like our natural response to pain is hatred. <laughs> we fucking hate it. But the more we practice mindfulness, the more we wake up, the more we train our mind and heart, the more we say, oh, the wise response, the skillful response, the appropriate response to pain is not hatred and resentment and fear and making it worse. That's not appropriate. 
It's natural. It's easy. It's what we do, but it makes it worse. And so then we want to develop a wise relationship. And compassion is an aspect of wisdom. So all of what we're trying to do is to develop wisdom. And um, and so we say heart. We say mindfulness. This this chapter. I call heartfulness. And there's a word that the Buddha uses uh, that's uh, C-I-T-T-A, and the C is spelled like a ch, like a C-H, chitta. And uh, when he's talking about training the mind, he says, you know, chitta, developing a compassionate mind, bodhicitta. And it translates, there's not an actual, you can't, we can translate it as mind, but we can also translate it as heart. It's like human intelligence. And part of our human intelligence when trained is emotional intelligence, is not just this sort of dry wisdom of like, I understand everything, but the intelligence of learning to feel everything and respond to it wisely, which sometimes means non-attachment and sometimes means compassion. One of my teachers, Jack Cornfield, uh, wrote a really cool book, The Path with Heart. Um, you know, that's just all about this, all about this kind of like, we're, we say we're training our mind and mindfulness, but really it's heartfulness. And that there's no difference between your heart and your mind. We can spend a lot of time using our brain to avoid, to try to avoid our emotions and kind of intellectualize everything and have a knowledgeable, you know, understanding in our minds of things. Um, but it's not really wisdom. Wisdom is, is when we're embodied, when we're knowing it in our bones, when we're not just, I know the answers, <laughs> but I can actually apply the Dharma. I can actually, I have the wisdom to, to respond appropriately with compassion, with non-attachment, with uh, a wise heart, a wise mind, and that there's no difference. We use these different words, heart and mind, but there's no difference. Uh, what's happening in us uh, biologically is that we have a nervous system and a brain and a, a body, and uh, the brain is creating all of our emotions. And the body is feeling all of our emotions. And so if you're mindful, both of your body and your mind, your brain, then you become embodied and you start to say, okay, there's this reactive tendency of I hate pain and I love pleasure and I get attached and I feel aversive. And then you start to see that's an incredibly dysfunctional way to live. It's creating all of this suffering on top of the pain I experience creating all of this suffering on top of the pleasure I experience. I'm even fucking up the good times. I don't want to do that. I want to learn to enjoy the appropriate pleasures, the wonderful experiences without clinging to them, getting addicted and ruining it. So I, that's, that, that's my Dharma talk. <laughs> <laughs> but as a setup, in our practice, give yourself extra permission, extra encouragement to be friendly towards your thoughts and feelings, 
to have an attitude. I always say it, every meditation instruction, establish an attitude of friendliness towards whatever happens. Try to be kind, no matter how critical your mind is and it's sitting here judging you and comparing and feeling like a failure because you can't stay with your breath or whatever's happening. Be kind even to that judging voice, even to that comparing critical self-hatred, whatever is arising. On some level in there, there's a part of you that knows how to just be soft, be warm, be friendly, even towards that internal unfriendliness. I'm not telling you like you have to um, make your mind kind and compassionate. I'm saying try to be compassionate to the lack of compassion. Try to be friendly to the lack of friendliness rather than this idea that I should meditate and be nice and loving all of the time. Like just like be friendly towards that inability, can't do it. My mind is not friendly all of the time. My mind's an asshole. (laughs) And be friendly towards that part of the mind that is critical and judgmental and afraid. And And this is the training. Even more important than are you good at paying attention to your breath? Like if we want to make a duality between like kindness and awareness, put more effort into kindness than awareness. And I feel like often we, because we meditate, we sit up and I'm going to pay attention real hard. And we put all of the effort into, I'm going to pay attention. I'm going to get wise. And then I'm going to be a little bit critical of myself if I'm not doing it well. So that balance of like, yeah, try, keep coming back, keep returning to the present, keep investigating, keep looking inward, turning towards what's happening physically, emotionally. Is the breath coming? Is it going? What, what thoughts are arising? There's efforts to do that, but also there's effort to just be friendly towards whatever's happening. We don't want to be so... relaxed about it, that we're just um, falling asleep or that we're just, um, you know, giving ourselves permission to daydream the whole time. So there's a balance, a friendly discipline, a kind, steadfast, I'm trying to be here, I'm trying to see clearly, but I'm also trying to not be judgmental and critical and, and, and take everything that my mind does so personally heartful, kind as the leading principle in your mind training. That makes sense. I hope it makes sense. And um, so that's my setup for our meditation. So find a way to sit up, upright, relaxed. Establishing a posture that feels sustainable. And remember that even discomfort in meditation is an important part of our practice, important opportunity for this kind awareness.
my first act of kindness in meditation is always softening tension, releasing the brow, my jaw, shoulders. Rather than resisting being tight, softening. An inner attitude of friendliness, softening the belly as an act of kindness, the jaw. Giving ourselves to feel whatever's here to be felt, whether it's joy or sadness excitement or anxiousness. And we use the body as the anchor to the present, present time, non-judgmental, Awareness of our body's breathing. Where do you feel the breath? But remember to feel the breath, to receive it with your body, not observing it from the watchtower of consciousness. But feel it with your chest, with your nostrils, with your belly. For the first few minutes, we let the breath be the focus. Let everything else be in the background, ignoring the mind. Paying attention just to the sensations the breath creates.
If you're a bit new to this kind of meditation, keep bringing your attention gently back to the breath, investigating the impermanent nature of the sensations that arise and pass with each breath. Let the Buddha's training of the heart-mind continue encouraging us to bring awareness to our whole body, head to toe. Feel your fingers, your toes, hands and feet, arms and legs. Bring mindfulness to the posture, how you're sitting, the contact with the chair or cushion. Bringing as much friendliness, heartfulness, kindness as you can to your body. Perhaps even some gratitude and appreciation, this physical form carrying us around. Softening as an act of compassion when you notice tension. Breathing into places of discomfort in the body. And rather than ignoring the other sense doors of hearing, smelling, tasting, seeing, and thinking, include it all. Present time awareness of thoughts and feelings, sounds. Try to observe how thoughts arise and pass.
whatever is calling for your attention, whether it's a thought or a sensation. Try to identify how it feels. Is it a pleasant thought? Or unpleasant? If you're just focusing on the breath, how's the breath feel? Pleasant, unpleasant, neutral? When a sound draws your attention, what's the feeling of receiving that sound? Pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. We develop compassion by identifying what's unpleasant in our experience, turning towards it. And we develop non-attachment by identifying what's pleasant. Our tendency to cling and crave for more pleasure. And we practice letting go, letting impermanent, pleasant experiences arise and pass.
spending the last few minutes of the sit bringing in the heart practice phrases starting just with yourself this mind body heart process saying to yourself may i be at ease with myself just as i am with this mind this body May I be free from the causes of suffering, the clinging, the aversion, the self-centeredness, taking everything personal that causes me to suffer. May I be free from those reactive tendencies. May I learn to meet all of the pain in my life, painful thoughts and emotions and sensations with warmth, with friendliness. May I learn to care about my own pain. May I learn to meet the joys, the appropriate pleasures in my life with non-attached appreciation, non-clinging. Extending loving kindness and compassion out to your loved ones, your friends and family. Just as I wish to be happy, may you experience ease and well-being. May you be free from the causes of suffering, your own clinging and aversion, self-centeredness. May you learn to meet your pain with compassion.
extending this heartfelt intention outward to all of the people in our community, people practicing together tonight all over the planet. The Buddha encouraged us to train our hearts to radiate kindness and compassion, appreciation and equanimity in all directions of the east and west, north and south, including all living beings, those who we care about and those who we judge, fear, resent. the known and the unknown. All living beings share the same instinctual drive for survival, desire for safety, for contentment, for happiness. Extending our loving kindness, compassion, appreciation, and the understanding that all beings are responsible for their own actions. Everyone has their own karma. Just returning to your body, your mind, your heart. And recollecting the Buddha's teachings that we could search the whole world and never find anybody more worthy of our love and kindness, friendliness, forgiveness, compassion than ourselves. Start with you internally, your own mind, your own heart.
A little chilly? A little. Um, I feel like Buddhism can seem a little complicated sometimes. There's the four noble truths, and then there's the eightfold path, and then there's the 12 links of dependent origination, and then there's the seven factors of awakening, and then there's the five hindrances and the six sense doors and the, you know, uh, this list and that list and can feel a little complicated, but also it's so fucking simple. All of those different lists and all of the teachings are, you know, on some level or another trying to help us learn to respond with compassion to pain and non-attachment to pleasure and to not take it all so personal all of the time, to break our addiction to self, to mind, to I, me, mine. All of the teachings are like, oh, yeah, hey, here's all of these lists and ways to explain it, but here's the simple task. Let go. And the more we practice the four foundations of mindfulness and see clearly the impermanent nature of everything, the more we say like, oh yeah, clinging hurts. Every time, not just sometimes it sucks, every time it sucks. And maybe sometimes we're so asleep, we don't even realize how much it, we're hurting ourselves by clinging, by attachment, by craving, by... But the more you start to wake up, the more you see like, oh, wow, every time I cling, and I'm doing it all the time, unconsciously. Uh, you know, I threw out the 12 links of dependent origination, which is an explanation of why we suffer because we are in these mind-body processes that cling all by themselves. And one of the things I love about Buddhism is that it also takes the blame and shame out of being human. And it says like, it's not your fault <laughs> that you're constantly creating suffering for yourself and annoying the people around you. It's not your fault. Without training, without meditation, without some renunciation, without it's just what us human beings do, all of us. You noticed everyone you know is just like you, thinking about themselves all of the time, <laughs> clinging to pleasure and running from pain and maladaptive strategies for finding happiness. And it's so fucking simple, but it's the, the, you know, the task, the, the goal is so simple. Compassion. <laughs> Saying it is so simple. <laughs> Doing it is so fucking hard. So, and it's, it's uh, you know, I've been flying this against the stream flag for decades now, because what I heard the Buddha say, not heard, but read, heard that he said, 
this path of wisdom and compassion and non-attachment and kindness goes against human nature, against the stream, that it's an act of rebelling against the norm. I was like, yeah, that's what it feels like to me because my normal self-centered, clinging, craving, aversive tendency got me strung out and locked up. I was just doing what my mind told me to do. <laughs> I was just obeying my cravings. I was just running from my pain. I was just doing what everybody else does, but, you know, I was cooler at it. I was more radical, right? More self-centered. I was a cool crackhead. <laughs> That would steal your shit. So I'm going to read to you the last couple pages of this book, and then just open it up for some discussion with you. Conclusion, heartfulness, living a life based on kind awareness. It is my hope that you'll take the teachings and practices in this book and digest them fully in your own way and in your own time. And I think that's important for all of us to, when we take on a path to um, know that like we each have our own different karma that we come in with. We have our own uh, conditioning, our own levels of trauma, our own levels of whatever. And that there's not a cookie cutter path to spiritual awakening. It's the same practices for all of us. It's the, but the process, how long it takes to digest um, is not, uh, it's different for each one of us, what it's going to be like and how long it's going to take. And I'm fond of saying like, you know, commit to your practice and check in on your progress once every decade or so, which I heard the Dalai Lama say once of like long-term disciplined practice, but you know, it's going to, after 10 years, it's going to look different for you than it looks for me. Um, I did these loving kindness, compassion, forgiveness practices every day for years and didn't feel much except for angry and didn't feel loving and didn't feel kind and didn't feel compassionate. Uh, you know, I kind of felt pissed off and uh, afraid and vulnerable and I didn't like it. And, and some people start loving kindness. And they're like, this fucking feels great. Finally, permission to be nice to myself. I love it. So, you know, each one of us has a different process with it a different timing and we have to digest it ourselves in our own way these teachings are not simply theory to be believed or understood they are practical tools to be developed and integrated into one's daily life daily life not 
just on the cushion, not just when we come to class and we're, you know, with the Sangha, uh, in our daily life, in our arguments with our partners, with our children, with our bosses, bringing this, oh, am I present? What's happening in my body? <laughs> what, you know, oh, this is really unpleasant, naming it, mindfulness of unpleasantness, of stress, of fear, of anger in our daily life off of the cushion into, you know, taking a shit on the toilet as a meditation practice, mindful, into looking at porn, whatever you're doing, bringing it into your daily life, not outside, not I'm only spiritual when I'm meditating, but also when you're masturbating, every, every, every area of your life. You know, there's this whole soft belly meditation. I'm often saying, soften your belly. I remember my early 20s, I was doing a, this and I was trying to teach my friends about, you know, a bunch of 20 something punkers and I'm talking about soft belly. And one of my friends said, can you jack off with a soft belly? Or is it like, does it have to be tense actually? And I was like, I don't know, I haven't actually tried. Like, and that's, that's like an engagement of, Bring, can you bring mindfulness into that activity? And maybe the mindfulness says, nope, there's a bit of tension in my body when I'm sexual or masturbating or whatever it is. But into all aspects of our life and, and, and not this bullshit, fake spirituality that thinks it's only in the room. It's only on my meditation cushion. It's only everything. There's nothing outside of our intention to be present, to be kind, to be aware. The Dharma described in these pages is a path, a practice, a new way of relating to ourselves and others. Some say that Buddhism offers a liberation that has two wings, the wing of compassion and the wing of wisdom. Others speak of the distinction between heart and mind. My current feeling is that these are false dualities. There is only one thing that needs to be done, and that is to live a life of heartfulness. Heartfulness encompasses everything. Mindfulness is heartfulness. Forgiveness is heartfulness. Compassion is heartfulness. Appreciation is heartfulness. Even understanding impermanence and the truth of suffering is heartfulness, is bringing that wise aspect of us to impermanence, to everything. Our practice and goal is to live a life that is full of the positive and wise qualities of heart. The untrained heart is not yet trustworthy, while the trained heart is fully and completely a safe refuge. And again, that duality that happens a lot in Western sort of new age spirituality, the sort of like, follow your heart. The heart is good. It's all love. The mind is bad. It's not to be trusted. It's such a false duality that's created. And I remember this, one of the teachers I like, um, Lungpur Samedo, Ajahn Samedo. Uh, was asked, and this is like in the 1970s, I think, maybe 80s, and, and he was asked this question by a nice, well-meaning hippie. 
who said, um, you know, hey man, shouldn't we just follow our heart? And uh, Sumedho said, absolutely not. Your untrained heart will get you, in, got you into all of this suffering in the first place. If you train your heart, it will become a refuge. If, because, you know, like we think like uh, heart is love. No, heart is not love. You also, where do you experience hatred? In your heart. Where do you experience fear? In your heart. It's not like negative afflictive emotions are all mental and positive uh, emotions are all uh, uh, in the heart. It's all the mind, really, that we call the heart. So train it. And then it'll become a refuge. And this, even, even saying this uh, will become a safe refuge. There's that image that I use a lot. Many of you have heard me talk about over and over of um, Ajahn Chah, Samedo's teacher, who said, you know, let's boil the whole practice down. I'm saying bro- boil it down to heartfulness. He said two words, boil all of Buddhism, all of the Dharma down to two words, let go. Let go. <laughs> let go of the past. Let go of the future. Let go of the present, needing it to be different than it is. Let go of the clinging, the controlling. He says, if you let go a little bit, you'll have a little happiness. If you let go a lot, you'll have a lot of happiness. If you completely, really relinquish, non-clinging, he said, you'll experience the happiness of the Buddha, of being awake, of being free from suffering. Is that in your mind will become like a, I use this term refuge, the heart will become a refuge. He said it'll become like a still forest pool. But then there's this awesome image where he uses, he says, and all kinds of strange and wonderful animals will come to drink from the stillness. And I think that this is really important because that's delusion that like stillness is the goal. He puts in there, strange and wonderful animals, because sometimes that strange and wonderful animal is jealousy. Sometimes that strange and wonderful animal is insecurity. But you have a relation, a, a let go of like, oh, look at this, feeling unworthy again. <laughs> oh, look at this, uh, lust. Look at this fear, the strange and wonderful natural human emotion arising and being known. In, within this stillness, within this refuge, this imperturbable, uh, I'm not attached, I'm not identified, but I'm also not a fucking zombie. It's not a lobotomy that we're doing here. It doesn't get rid of our emotions. It doesn't get rid of our humanness. But this potential of changing our relationship to it so radically, so let go, that whatever comes, it arises and it passes and it's, it's met with friendliness, with heartfulness. With long-term and consistent application of the meditations, your heart will become free from the obscurations of greed, hatred, and delusion. You will perfect your relationship to being. Your perspective will become heartful and therefore trustworthy. Some pretty high promises. Perfect. You'll become perfectly imperfect. You don't have to run off to a monastery to walk this path, although for some that is a noble and wise calling. 
I am primarily interested in Dharma as a practical and applicable way of life in the everyday world of working and relationships. I think that our American form of Buddhism as it grows and evolves is going to be primarily a path of householders rather than monks and nuns. What is important though, wherever we find ourselves on this path is the support of others. We need teachers and communities that inspire us and support us on the path of heartfulness because the journey is fraught with many dangers and a lot of personal responsibility. There are many great teachers out there and many great and trustworthy communities, but there may be an equal number of teachers and communities that are not so trustworthy. As a student of the path, you will have to use your own discernment about these things. Just because some particular teacher calls it Buddhism doesn't mean that what's taught has much to do with what the Buddha himself actually taught. As a student of Buddhism, the responsibility lies on you to study, learn, and discern the Dharma for yourself. You must, be, you must also be careful in how you relate to teachers. The Buddha was clear and insistent on the point of personal responsibility and liberation through one's own efforts. Teachers are here only to point out the path. You must do all of the trudging yourself. Make sure that your teachers are walking a heartful path and teaching a heartful approach to real life. As I began this book with a warning, I will also end it with one. The true Buddhist path is rare and difficult. Along the way, you will be asked to face the most difficult of human emotions and challenges. The great news is that you have the capacity to awaken in this lifetime. All you need is the perseverance to train your heart mind thoroughly. Along the way, you will meet with many other spiritual revolutionaries. Some will become lifelong friends on the path. Many will fall by the wayside drawn back into the matrix of greed and hatred. Those of us who commit and stay the course are the one percenters of Dharma, the forgiving few, the Dharma ninja assassins, the real revolutionaries who can change the world. I hope to meet you along the way. Pretty heavy up on that soapbox right there. <laughs> I was inspired. Um, so what are your thoughts about anything, questions, comments? We've gone through this book, compassion, forgiveness, loving kindness, equanimity, generosity, Tong Len. We've kind of chapter by chapter walked through this whole book over the last few months. Um, if you missed it and you want to revisit, it's all on the YouTube channel and you can go back and look at the different chapters and do those practices and explore it. Questions, comments, clarifications, either in the room or at home. Please. Despite this being my first meeting, I do enjoy Buddhism, and I very much enjoyed the uh, the symbolism of the still forest lake and how it 
sort of describes the way that emotions might approach and still have with their ripples affect us and ripple through us, but that we still return to a state of stillness and and maintain a sort of detached engagement, not numb and not ignoring anything, but having a, a wider perspective and not being consumed by our emotions or anger that's Yeah, thank you. Yeah, me too. It, it really helped me. That, that symbolism really helped me clarify the goal and you know the process that we're getting to that it's not because there's so often that idea of like well meditation means like quieting your mind as though the thoughts are supposed to go away and there's not supposed to be any emotions or rather and i just love that image that he uses he's like yeah you'll become open and spacious and calm at times but strange and wonderful emotions and thoughts and, and you'll have a you know strange and wonderful is just like this friendly attitude towards whatever comes rather than go away, I'm meditating. You're fucking disturbing me. He's like, oh, wow, it's the fucking greed unicorn. Wow, what's going on? <laughs> greed unicorn, interesting. You know, yeah, totally. Uh, Kayla, go ahead, jump in. Hey, can you hear me okay? Yep. All right. Uh, yeah, I've been, <clears throat> my mentor suggested coming to these Dharma talks against the stream, which I didn't know about until um, I started working with her. And I've really been enjoying them. Um, and tonight's interesting about the connection piece you were talking about. Because um, I'm going through a breakup and it sucks. And I have found that my meditation practice, like I get so frustrated and like, normally I really love meditation. I'm like, this is my time, like in my zone. Um, and just listening to you, like talk about it, I guess I'm making those connections of like, there's, you know, there's shit going on and it's just making it really hard to meditate. Um, but I guess I wouldn't have made that connection unless I came here. So I just wanted to comment on that and, and say, thank you because um, I needed it tonight. Yeah, and I, I think you heard it, and I just want to encourage you, which is, um, you know, there's no such thing as a, a distraction or, you know, when there's difficult emotions, there's grief, there's sadness, there's resentment, whatever is coming up when we're going through a breakup, that becomes our meditation practice. It's not like I want to um, sit here and, and I want all of that to go away. I'm going to sit here and feel it. I'm going to sit here and turn towards it and, and get interested in investigating, oh, there's deep sadness, there's betrayal, there's loneliness, there's fear. My mind is saying, you'll never find another relationship, whatever the mind is doing. And that's what we're with. That is our meditation practice in those difficult times, rather than like, I need to be just really good at paying attention to my breath. Like, nope, just turn towards it. Just be with whatever is, is happening. Hope that makes sense. Yeah, actually, I needed to hear that too. So yeah. thank you. Welcome. Please. Yeah, I'm just wondering, the more that you've been on this path, um, I don't know, I just, I've noticed for myself sometimes, like when I'm in like, my most peaceful states and my most like let go states that stuff externally starts to fuck with me 
it's like, you know what I mean? Like I'll have like, it'll be like, oh, I'm so zinned out and everything's good. And then there's like it more like external stuff kind of like, it's like almost like fighting the dark evil forces, you know what I mean? Like you're at the different levels of the bosses, you know, they get tougher and tougher. And it seems like that sometimes. Like, I don't know if it's also like when you do feel more zinned out, other people kind of want to latch on and become like even more like, you know what I mean, in your space. Have you noticed any of that in your own practice? Um, so let me, re the people at home were asking me to repeat the question. Um, noticing a kind of cycle of when feeling uh zen centered balanced internally that external challenges tend to happen in your process i'm wondering if i have had a similar um, process with that mm, i don't know I, I can't like i can't easily be like yeah i totally see that cycle happening in my life um I, I don't, you know, like, I feel like the shit just hits the fan sometimes. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, sometimes I feel really like surprised by it. And I felt like in, in a good balanced place. And then like, wow, how, why is like the building crumbling around me? <laughs> um, but, and so I don't, I don't know. For me, it feels much more like a, there's been a gradual, very slow, very gradual, process of uh, taking everything really personal the first half of my life to like the more I practice taking it less personal and then also a shift at some point I don't know where but somewhere of like whatever happens is an opportunity is a practice and when I really tried and not that I do it perfectly but I try to do that of see like whatever is happening that's my spiritual practice and so internally and externally, whatever I'm thinking and feeling, my job is to be aware of it and respond to it. What, whatever's happening outside of me, my job is to be aware of it and try to respond with friendliness, with you know, um, forgiveness, if it's resentment, if it's you know, feelings of uh, being wounded in some way, offended, um, clung to, you know, succubus, whatever it is. And I, I don't, I can't, I don't really see it as a, other than I just see, oh, I've learned to do this over decades to where I don't suffer as much about what's happening internally or externally. Um, and sometimes it does feel like, wow, there's long periods of like, things are kind of good internally and pretty good externally too. And then there's periods of like, I don't think things feel pretty good internally, but externally is a fucking shit show, you know, like in relationships or in communities or, um, but that reframing as whatever it is, the, those external opportunities. And you said something about um, the leveling up, like, I don't know, was that like a video game sort of? Yeah. Well, no, I just noticed like when I am feeling really, it seems like things get louder, things get like harder. Right. You know what I mean? It's like almost like sabotage. And I don't know, it's probably my own thing, you know, that's like things are fucking with me now. Man. Yeah. Like I'm doing good and now everything's fucking with me, you know. But that that trying to reframe that as like and this is an opportunity. Right. Rather than it's a uh, feeling, you know, it's fucking with me of like, oh, this is a, a challenge. This is the next level of can I be compassionate towards this? 
towards this level of challenge of difficulty. Um, and I'm not a big believer in like you only only what we can handle happens or some you know some theistic bullshit around like God only gives you what you can handle. Uh, I'm not I don't believe that, but uh, karma, you know, like whatever it, there is a sort of process that's happening that it's all an opportunity for purification. I know this isn't exactly, but I always think about when really difficult shit happens in my life that like I want to get resentful at or I want to uh, suffer at, that there's a choice in that moment of, am I going to use this as karmic purification by responding with friendliness and kindness and acceptance, or am I going to make it worse? Right. And the natural tendency of us is to make it worse. But the more we train our mind, the more there is this choice that says, um, you know, like if something gets stolen, like my, my, this last year, my motorcycle got stolen. And there's that moment of like, Ooh, this is like justifiable rage and fear and sad, you know, all of those of, or like, this is like big non-attachment, right? This is a big opportunity for letting go and like feeling sad and feeling vulnerable rather than like, I'm going to go murder somebody, right? <laughs> like my motorcycle got stolen. Uh, I'm just like, uh, let go. How much shit did I steal in my early life? Is this my karma? I don't, you know, like. And then the funny part about that story is I let go. And then uh, my friend found my motorcycle, found a guy riding the motorcycle in front of our fucking meditation center <laughs> and chased him down and got it back. But I'd already bought a new motorcycle. So now I have two. Weird karma. Um, please, Kabuki. Um, I just flowing from that. One of the things that has struck me over the years is that sometimes we're in cultures and communities that are quite um, adversarial, potentially at work, certainly. When things get tense and something's gone wrong, there's this moment where every all the knives come out and that's i find a little moment sort of take a deep breath and try to change the dialogue and i do think there's a real power that we all have when we practice to then use that in these moments to try and change the rhetoric and change the community and change and make it more we and less i and blame absolutely takes a long time to get there though, huh? It does. But it's that intention. It's that, at least I'm trying, even if we can't do it all of the time, let's try to do it. I'm feeling that tension that rises in your, I mean, for me, it's in my chest. Mm -hmm. And I have to take this really deep breath and sort of really neutralize and then sort of say, okay, this is the moment. So yeah. It may happen many times. Yeah, our bodies are so, um, you know, so it, the more we have that mindfulness of our body, the more we can, when there's tension, when there's tightness, when there's heat, as that, oh, there's something to be done here, that, well, you're talking about that deep breath. For me, that softening. When I notice my stomach getting tight, 
and I soften into allowing myself to feel this rather than resist it. Because that, because I know resistance equals making it worse. Softening diffuses it. That deep breath diffuses it. On some level, it doesn't get rid of it, but it soothes it. Uh, Katrina, go ahead and take one on, online. Hey, no, I've, I'm happy to be here. It's nice to see you. Nice to see you too. <laughs> Thanks. Um, so as you were talking about the uh, heart-mind-body connection, I started to wonder about this concept of intuition and how does that fit into Buddhism? Is what you're describing, this mindfulness practice with this wise heart and wise mind, is that what people generally refer to as intuition? I mean, because I have a lot of friends who are like, they refer to themselves as empaths. And I'm like, are you carrying around like a mystical trunk of knowledge that I don't have or what? <laughs> so, um, yeah, thanks. Um, I don't know the answer to that question. <laughs> I, um, I think that we misuse a lot of words like intuition and empath and um i don't i don't know i don't know the answer to that what i my my sense is what i want like intuition is like knowing and but, but i feel like often we use that term as like i shouldn't know this but i know it and in buddhism um we're training our heart and mind to know how to risk and we, I could say intuitively respond, but it's not like just happening out of nowhere. You've gotten there from your meditation. You, you know, you've gotten there because you've trained your mind. And the more you train your heart and your mind, the more you will intuitively respond, naturally respond with compassion, with non-attachment, with friendliness, with generosity, whatever it is. There will be, there's a place where the Buddha says, um, he, he, he calls the whole process uh, inner uh, purification. It's uh, This teaching is called the simile of the cloth. And he says, uh, what we're doing is we are purifying our heart, our mind. And we scrub away with mindfulness and with compassion. And, and when we do that, we get rid of all of the things that are blocking, the, all of the impurities, all of the you know, self-centered, fear-based is it, and what remains is this sort of intuitive compassion for all living beings, uh, natural expression of kindness and of generosity. That that's, you know, and he doesn't use this term, but I'll say, uh, like, that's our true nature. Like, underneath our reactive, habitual, clinging, craving, there's a loving heart, there's a wise heart, there's an intuitive. Uh, generous and forgiving nature to all of us. Without training, many of us never really access it. But with training, we access it more and more. And, and I know that that's not what you're referring to when, when people talk about their intuition. Um, or I don't think that's what you're referring to when people talk about their intuition. Um, so anyways, I don't, I'm not sure. I will talk a little bit of shit about empaths though, <laughs> which is, um, it might be a real thing, 
but I also feel like everyone is sensitive. And everyone feels what, you know, especially if you're tuned in at all, we feel each other's, we feel other people's pain. It's all of what we're doing in compassion. If you're paying attention at all, you feel it. Um, maybe some people do have a nervous system where they're more sensitive, less uh, grounded, less equanimous, you know, take it on even more than, than, than some of us. I, I'm sure that that's the case for some people and they then label themselves as empaths. Um, but I don't like this setup of like some people are, uh, you know, empathetic and, and some people feel other people's and, and then other people don't feel anything. It's like, we are all sensitive feeling uh, beings. And if you're tuned in at all, you not only f feel your own uh, experience, you also can, you know, you, you feel it when somebody's in the room that's angry, we all are like, oof, anger, just getting on me. Um, or, you know, and also like, this is the whole training of, uh, sympathetic joy and compassion is become more and more empathetic, but empathetic with non attachment. Don't take it on, feel it and let it come through, feel people's joy, you know, uh, feel it and let it come through, appreciate it and feel people's pain and care about it. Um, so I don't, I guess I'm not really talking shit about empaths, but was there a hand here, please? Yeah, um, I guess my question is more of a kind of mechanical, uh, you talk about like being on the cushion and like being mindful of kind of like, like seeing what wants my attention and going in that direction. I, I, I like being mindful of what my mind is thinking about. I find myself um, almost like I catch it after the fact, like I come out of like, oh, I was thinking instead of like, oh, I'm, I can see myself thinking. And like, if there's any like, I don't know, help with that, you know, creating that space between, you know, observing. Yeah. Opposed to like, oh, shit, I was just thinking. Right. <laughs> and is that partially because the instructions make it sound a little bit like we're supposed to be able to catch it in the act rather than after. I don't know. I'm just looking for more freedom. Right. Well, couple couple of encouragements. Uh, one is um, don't make it a problem. Thinking is okay. Don't be adversarial with thinking. Um, yes, we're trying to catch it. Uh, you know, like especially when we've made the decision, I'm going to be with my breath and thinking is still happening and the attention that gets drawn from the body you know that anchor to to the the thoughts uh, don't make it a problem though of course the mind thinks it's whether or not we're aware or, or choosing to be like i'm going to be present with my mind as i did in the instructions how do you do that yeah. uh well yeah, well, make it, it's the third foundation of mindfulness. So make it part of your meditation practice to observe your thoughts, to become friendly and aware that the thinking mind is just like the beating heart or the breathing lungs. The lungs breathe all by themselves. The heart beats all by itself. The mind thinks all by itself. So just as we observe the breath coming and going, 
observe the thoughts arising and passing. There's a couple of images, maybe you haven't heard them yet, that I find helpful. One is um, visualize your thoughts like they're bubbles, thought bubbles, you know, like in the cartoons where like the person's like saying, you know, so visualize your thoughts like thought bubbles and then observe it and be like, oh, that's a plan. My mind is planning what I'm gonna, you know, what kind of tacos I'm gonna get after class. <laughs> Just, and, and then you can also say like, oh, that's pleasant. Or that's, or, you know, I can name it desire, you can name it and just be like, it's just a thought and then it passes. Now, sometimes when you're watching your mind, you'll see that the mind, those thought bubbles, the Buddha used the term uh, papancha, they proliferate where I, you know, had this sensation and it was hunger and then tacos arose. And then all of a sudden it, that gave birth to, I want three of these, I want two of those. And then I was uh, thinking about the last time I got tacos and how I had diarrhea the next day. And, you know, and then all of a sudden I'm like on the toilet in my mind, I haven't even had the tacos yet, but my butthole's already burning. And it's all thoughts. It was all just watching the mind do the mind dance. <laughs> so, I'm so crude. Yes, eventually you'll get to the place where you'll like watch the dance happen. But in the meantime, you you know you wake up after it's happening. You're like, oh, okay, that just and rec recollecting, remembering, reflecting on. Oh, that thought led to that thought led to that thought. That's great. And then you'll be able to track it back and get a little closer to it and a little closer to it. But give it permission. Make it part of your meditation to watch your thoughts. Yeah. Okay, we're almost out of time. I'm going to take two more questions, I think. Um, Rory, go ahead, jump in. Hi. Okay, so I'm really struggling with taking my practice off the cushion into my daily life. And so... I'm in this community now with, you know, I'm a teacher. And so we're all back on campus and I'm, I mean, it's easier for me with the kids, for the students to practice, right. To like not interject and not throw my mind into stuff, but with adults, it's harder. And so what I'm struggling with is like, okay, I'm, I'm able to confront the thinking mind on the cushion and, and all these things that are arising on the cushion, but, off the cushion is now where I'm having real challenge, you know? So then I don't want to get into like this, these conversations with others. Like, can you believe you said that? Did you believe they did this? And, you know, it's like, so now where, where do I go with it when I see it, when I'm feeling it, or do I just sit with it and just be like, Oh, here it is. You know, this is it. You know, this is, this person's just irking me and, or the way they handled this or so that's, I'm, I'm struggling there. I don't know if you have any thoughts about that. I mean, my first thought is, um, you know, take all of your coworkers as the object of your loving kindness meditation every day. And then I also had this other thought, Rory, that I'm not sure if it's helpful or not, which is, um, you know, to see those adults that you work with um, like the kids that you work with. You know, we, we love to hold adults so accountable 
uh, especially when we're in a professional environment and they're not behaving the way that they should be behaving. But, you know, just maybe seeing their woundedness and seeing their youngness and, you know, seeing just like it's easier for you with the kids because you're not, you know, like they're fucking teenagers. Of course, they're assholes, but adults aren't allowed to be assholes. Um, and just giving, you know, just seeing them and taking them as loving kindness and just seeing like, you know, why are adults assholes? Because they're wounded kids playing adults, right? And, you know, so having compassion for them as much as you can with the appropriate boundaries that says, you know what, guys, we're at work. This shit's, you know, this isn't okay. And, you know, we're trying to run this school and, you know, like we need to make wise decisions. And um, so it's that always that balance of compassion. And this had nothing to do with your question, but I really wanted to throw it in there. So I'm going to make a segue, which is like when we're talking about compassion, maybe it does have something to do. Um, Sometimes I feel like, and I know for me, I thought it was so soft and that it was like always nice. And even when like the term loving ki kindness, it sounds so nice. But I don't know how much uh, you've seen like Tibetan art, like like this, for instance, this, this guy behind me over here um, is an image of compassion, but he looks fucking fierce, right? That's Mahakala. He's the Tibetan, you know, deity of fierce compassion. And so, so often we think like, oh, I've got to be nice and I've got to be meek. And I'm, you know, compassion is so soft. And a lot of times it is. Compassion is warm and it is soft and it is empathetic on some level or another. But the Tibetans had this whole really cool kind of like, sometimes compassion needs to be fierce. It needs to be the uh, really uh, firm boundary and a firm like, this behavior is not fucking okay. And I mean, I, I think Kabu what Kabuki was saying earlier around like, yeah, better if we try to like gently turn the conversation towards the we and include ourselves and uh, communication wise, I feel like that's better. But there is a place sometimes for uh, a fierce, you know, like protest, like in the streets. Um, sometimes it's it's not just like, hey, we're gonna be compassionate in here. Like, nope. As an act of compassion, we're we're fucking storming the Capitol. Not I'm not talking about. <laughs> I'm not talking about that. But you know what I mean. Like in, in out of a wise, uh, you know, sometimes it's time to fucking take some action and to be fierce um, as an act of compassion. Okay, Lee, I'm sorry. I'll, I'll hang out after class. If you wanna ask a question, I'm gonna take the last class and the last comment or question from David here in the room. Really quick, yeah. just uh, following on with what you're saying, like part of what I'm working with in this moment is there's also the space of fierce compassion where it's compassion for like intense bullshit or like intense assault and like the kind of intense compassion that you have to have to resist hatred or violence or making it worse. It takes That's so much effort. Yeah. 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 The, and I feel like sometimes we, we think that it's supposed to be easy, like compassion is a decision. It's super fierce. It's super fierce. And um, 
And sometimes we just can't do it. It's like sitting by a fire that's like actually burning. Yeah. And facing it and, and not letting it put you in. Really, some of the time, uh, it's a little bit like your question about the mind, about catching the mind, like, oh, I catch it afterwards. I feel like that about compassion, too, sometimes. Like, after I've done something stupid, then I'm like, fuck, I should have been compassionate. <laughs> like, I want to be compassionate. I don't want to yell. I don't want to raise my voice or do whatever I did. Like, that wasn't the skillful thing to do. I, but I didn't have the uh, ability to muster the, the compassion in that moment. But looking back, I regret not having to, now I have to make amends. Now I have to take responsibility for the unskillful reaction. And so there's the, with all of this path, it's so much humility necessary because we're not going to do it perfectly. Okay. endurance. Um, we'll leave it there. It's nine o'clock. Thanks everybody for um, joining me for this series. I'm not sure what I'm going to do next week, but I'll figure it out and we'll move on on the Monday nights for uh, some topics. Um, class is done by donation. If you're tuning in online, please donate through the link in the chat window to againstthestream.com. Uh, $15 suggested donation for drop-in class, whether you're online or in person. If you're here, there's a, a bowl, a monk's uh, begging bowl over there that you could put cash donations in. There's also the uh, Venmo link on the thing, so you could make a donation through Venmo. Um, Again, the stream is a nonprofit, is supported by the donations of the people who attend here. Some people... Uh, and I encourage it and I request uh, it become monthly supporters of saying like, I'm just going to give uh, a donation each month. And a lot of people that come do that. And that really helps us pay the rent and uh, stay open. So please consider becoming a monthly supporter if you're financially able to do that, be greatly appreciated. I have a day long on the 22nd, which is just a couple of, couple of Saturdays away. Uh, Saturday, the 22nd, week after this. Uh, here we're doing, I think, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m., uh, day of sitting and walking practice. Um, you can do it live. Come and, and join us here in the room, or I'm also I'll put it on Zoom. You can register for that online against the stream.com. And I'm trying to get some retreats together. We have a retreat scheduled for October at Joshua Tree, but I'm talking to the Joshua Tree Retreat Center tomorrow. They're changing some of their policies. It may not be, uh, uh, we may not be able to do a silent retreat there this year or anymore. So we have to decide if we want to do a uh, less silence. We won't be able to have silence in the dining room anymore, it sounds like is going to be the deal. So I've uh, got to decide if that, or if we're going to find some new retreat centers, because retreat is a super important part of our practice, our process. So. But now that social distancing and um, is decreasing, we should be able to do some retreats towards the end of the year. Hope you join me for that. 
many goodness that is developed through our practice and discussion of the Buddha's Dharma be offered outward in all directions. May each one of us awaken, heal, recover this path of heartfulness. And together may we create a positive change on this planet. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. This is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream and Refuge Recovery. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes.